All right, let us begin. Oh, so grateful and thankful to join together in the love of God as the love of God, opening our hearts and minds to infinite wisdom, true intelligence, divine order. We're partnering up with the higher Holy Spirit self for the purpose of recognizing our true nature and our true identity, the perfect wholeness that we already are is being revealed to us even now. We're grateful and thankful to join together for the purpose of relinquishing every false thought and belief that we are still holding on to and to open ourselves to an awareness of love's presence that is unprecedented. We are grateful and thankful to open ourselves to an activity of healing, an activity of expansion and acceleration. We are truly grateful and truly thankful to clearly see and know and feel and hear the way to the full remembrance of our true nature. We are grateful, beyond grateful, to join together for this truly holy purpose, knowing that the Holy Spirit is providing everything that we need. We are grateful to let it be. Sharing the benefits with all, we let it be. We allow it to unfold, and so it is. And so it is unfolding. Amen. Amen, amen. Yes, 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 yes. All right. Well, life is interesting. Yeah. I'm just going to say as an aside, uh, just as an example of the kinds of things that uh, occur. I got an email today from the hotel that I negotiated with for the August events, and I've been negotiating with them for weeks. And then today, we came to a contract last week. Everything's agreed upon. And then they said, oh, and by the way, it's $2,500 a day for the meeting room. And I said, I'm sorry, you're telling me now that it's $2,500 a day for the meeting room? And, and so I said, well, that means we won't be able to meet there. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting how things happen. So uh, if you're planning to come to those events, stay tuned. Um, it's just, uh, you have to be flexible all the time. No attachment. This is what I have learned in my life experience. No attachments is the way to go. When there's no attachment, there's no suffering. So, um, and I can feel that all is well, and I trust in God, and I don't know what anything is for. So just letting you know that I'm living this and practicing it every day, for sure, for sure. And uh, one of the things that I would like to, um, uh, what, what I feel guided for us to talk about is been thinking a lot about uh, the resistance to healing. Uh, 
So as we're talking about the work in the David Hawkins book. So yesterday, if you listen to my radio show yesterday, I, oh no, that was today. <laughs> that was this morning. <laughs> Not yesterday, today. Uh, today in my radio show, I was talking about ministering and that uh, in A Course in Miracles, uh, in the text, uh, no, I'm sorry, in the uh, Manual for Teachers, it's chapter five, and in chapter five, uh, it has a couple of sections. Section two, and I didn't bring my my big book with me, but I, I so I don't know what tell you to what page in the FIP. But um, it says here in chapter five, section two, paragraph two of the manual for teachers. Chapter 5, Section 2, Paragraph 2. The acceptance of sickness as a decision of the mind for a purpose for which it would use the body is the basis of healing. And this is so for healing in all forms. A patient decides that this is so and he recovers. If he decides against recovery, he will not be healed. Who is the physician? Only the mind of the patient himself. The outcome is what he decides that it is. Special agents seem to be ministering to him, yet they but give form to his own choice. He chooses them in order to bring tangible form to his desires, and it is this they do and nothing else. They are not actually needed at all. The patient could merely rise up without their aid and say, I have no use for this. There is no form of sickness that would not be cured at once. So let's let's break this down a bit. And I did break it down a bit in the radio show, but it's extremely complementary to what Hawkins is teaching. And of course, what Hawkins is teaching is um, what he became aware of through his own course of learning and through his work with the Course in Miracles. So this section, I'm going to start with the second sentence. Uh, Well, the third. Well, I guess I'll start at the beginning of the paragraph. The acceptance of sickness as a decision of the mind. So in other words, when we accept that sickness is a decision of the mind for a purpose for which it would use the body is the basis of healing. When we accept that sickness is a decision of the mind and that's how the mind is using the body, this is the basis of healing. The acceptance that sickness is a decision of the mind 
is the basis of healing. And this is so for healing in all forms. All forms of healing would be healing your emotional body, your physical body, your mental body, your financial body, your relationships, anything like that. All forms. It's a decision. Sickness is a decision of the mind. Lack is a decision of the mind. Any problem we think we could have is a decision of the mind. And it goes on to say here, a patient decides that this is so and he recovers. If he decides against recovery, he will not be healed. Who is the physician? Only the mind of the patient himself. The mind of the patient is the physician, the healer. The outcome is what the patient decides that it is. We decide. And then it says special agents, and to me this is angels, ascended masters, and it could be friends and family, doctors, nurses, it could be anybody. So special agents seem to be ministering to the patient, yet they would give form to the patient's own choice. So if it seems like the angels are ministering to the patient and the patient is experiencing miraculous healing, the angels are but giving form to the patient's choice. If the special agents are doctors and nurses and they're administering surgeries and medicine that seem to be healing, they are merely bringing tangible form to the desire of the patient. These things would not work if it was not the desire of the patient. And it is this they do and nothing else. They bring form, tangible form to the desires of the patient. This is what they do and nothing else. And then it says here, they are not actually needed at all. The patient could merely rise up without their aid and say, I have no use for this. And there's no form of sickness that would not be cured at once. No form of sickness that would not be cured at once if the patient would merely rise up and say, I have no use for this. And, and this is what I've been saying for quite some time about, I'm not interested in this anymore. I have no use for this anymore. I'm not subject to this anymore. And yet, is that how we operate in our lives in every area of our life? We've know this, we've been studying it, we know it on an intellectual level, uh, and yet are we, we living it, are we practicing it? And if not, why not? So then um, I can share with you that people have um, different experiences of motivation. And let's talk about motivation here for a bit. So 
who would like to just for the purpose of our discussion discuss just put out there one or two sentences a challenge that you seem to be experiencing is there a challenge that you seem to be experiencing that really bothers you anybody laurel i don't there you go um being so fatigued that i'm basically bedridden okay being so fatigued that she's bedridden okay thank you i'm going to take that one who else has one something that really bothers you Rieko? Back pain. Back pain. Okay. So we've got intense fatigue and back pain. All right. Great. Anybody else want to add something? We've got Lori, then Jeannie. Um, relationship with my brother. Okay. So what is the thing that really bothers you in the relationship? Um, that he said he's the worker and, and uh, not appreciated. And um, he says he works 24-7 and, and he has the same comfort. I'm not a liar. I'm not a liar. I'm not a thief. I'm not a thief. He says it to me every time I'm around him about 30 times. See if you can summarize in one sentence what it is that bothers you. What's the essence of it? My brother's arrogance bothers me. Okay. All right. All right. So we've got um, exhaustion, back pain, arrogance of a relative, and we have Jeannie. You're unmuted. Oh, not hearing you, though. What's happening there? Can you hear me now? Oh, I hear you now. Okay, great. Um, oh, what's bothers? I'm not making money doing what I love, and I'm not in act. I don't seem to be in action, and it's a constant. I just seem to be struggling there. Okay. All right. Not making money doing what you love. Feeling stuck. All right. Uh, I saw Rand. Go ahead. Oh, can't do that. I don't know why I can't unmute sometimes. Yeah, it's just the way it works with me, I think, on the computer. Um, numb hands and numb feet, neuropathy-wise, and full body spasms. Okay, numb hands. You said dumb feet? Numb feet, numb hands, numb and feet. full body spasms. And full body spasms. Okay. Thank you, Rand. Anybody else? Paula. Um, I feel like people are being crazier than ever. And I feel overwhelmed by trying to mediate between an ever crazy <laughs> people. Okay, so overwhelmed by what feels like crazy people behavior. Okay. All right. Anybody else want to add something? 
Okay, good. So if you think of something, you can feel free to, to add it. All right. So for each of you, I'm just going to ask you to wave your hand. Do you feel like you're aggressively doing what you can about it? Do you feel like there's more you could do, but you're not doing it? Are you feeling, um, so did anybody, I, Rieko, I didn't see you raise your hand. Do you have a sense of where you are with it? Uh, my thoughts didn't even go, go to that place of, uh, what do I do about it? I was, uh, I was trying to just process what it's about, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Laurel, did you raise your hand? Which, remind me which one I didn't see you. What? I'm sorry. When you raised your hand... Was it because you were uh, doing all you could or you, there's more you could do? <laughs> I just answered both. <laughs> because okay. Just, yeah. All right. Just wanted to wave your hand. I get it. Covering all bases. I understand. I understand. Okay. So uh, I've been working with people who are in various forms of healing crisis or avoidance and whatnot for minimum 18 years, right? At least as a spiritual counselor. And what I see is that there are two main options. Uh, well, there's three main options. One is apathy and avoidance, right? But that's not any of us here really, I don't think. Though you might feel that way sometimes, you know, you just collapse into, I can't think about it right now, but that's probably not where you're going to stay for very long. So we have people who are pulled by, by a vision. And I can say now in this stage of my life, uh, almost everything I do, I do pulled by a vision or I just don't do it. Uh, so no matter what it is, whether it's planning a dinner with a friend or it's having a staff meeting or it's uh, just going to the store, there's a vision I have that I am operating from. Uh, but it used to be that uh, I would have, instead of a vision, I'd be motivated by some ego motivation. So ego motivation would be uh, I'm in pain and suffering, I'm in distress, and I'm trying to find something to end my pain, suffering, distress. Uh, other motivations would be um, lots, there are lots of other motivations. So some, are, some people are motivated by greed. Some are motivated by um, things such as they need 
to be in the limelight. They need to get recognition. They need other people's approval. They need to be better than other people. Can you think of some other motivations you may have had in the past? And besides the ones that I've named. Elizabeth? Money. Yes, money, just plain old money. Need to pay my bills. You know, so that's not greed. I just need to pay my bills. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Lori? All right. I'll let you do it. I was thinking um, protection. Protection. Yeah. Yeah, there's a perceived threat, right? So protection, safety. Sometimes people do things to just to have companionship, not be alone. So there's a genie. Um, it's along the line of validation, valued to, to, and status. It could be recognition. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. So there's lots of different kinds of ego motivation. Um, and and on a, um, a spiritual motivation, there's, aside from being pulled by the vision, you, it, 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 to me it's the same category, but you could say, it's self-expression, play, fun, things like that. But those, to me, are all part of a visionary pull. So um, I, uh, on a number of occasions, I've had an opportunity to work with people and talk with them about their motivations. So in uh, recent times, I've had the same conversation a few times, talking with someone who is experiencing a lot of anxiety, okay? A lot of anxiety. And they're, in their experience, what one of, some of the things that they're doing is they are sabotaging themselves and they are failing. They're making errors of judgment. They're failing. And for them, it feels like it's happening to them. They don't see that they're actively making decisions on a daily basis that contribute to their failure, right? It's things like... Um, someone in business... Uh, agrees to deadlines that they don't even know if they can meet them or not. They just accept them without evaluating them. And then they don't meet them. They could ask for help, but they don't ask for help. The deadline passes. They don't say anything. And then their boss comes back and says, 
what are you doing? You didn't meet your deadlines. You didn't tell anybody you weren't going to meet your deadlines. You didn't say you needed time, more time or more help. You didn't say anything. What are you thinking? What are you doing? What are you, what, what's going on with you? And sometimes they're just like, I don't know. And they really don't know. They really don't know. Uh, other times uh, I've, I've talked with people that um, they are not, they, they uh, are not able to do what needs to be done. And they're, instead of doing what needs to be done, what they've agreed to do, they're watching television. They're playing games on the internet. They're doing, uh, you know, all kinds of things that are not helpful or productive that are just frittering away their time, we could say. They're investing their time in things that bring them only a distraction, a very temporary distraction. And then the time is gone. They've passed. They've not met their deadline. And now they just have to deal with the consequences. They're getting fired. They're failing. They're not passing their grades. They're going to have to redo the work and start over. They're going to have to pay the fees or pay the late fees. This has happened a number of times in a number of different situations. I'm having the same conversation with different people. But it's the same kind of thing that people are not evaluating what's going on, not assessing it, not feeling empowered by to make choices. Instead, life is happening to them, and it feels like they're failing, and there's a lot of anxiety. And they, they think they, there's anxiety because the school is a stressful environment, or there's a lot of anxiety and fear because... Uh, there's illness and don't have the ability to make decisions. Uh, you don't feel comfortable. You don't feel strong. You feel like Laurel's talking about, you know, just bedridden uh, and these kinds of things. And yet there were choice points. There were choice points that people chose not to make important decisions. So today's the day to pay that bill. If you don't pay the bill, you're going to have a 30% penalty. You're having a trouble paying your bill as it is, so now you're going to go into the 30% penalty, right? I see people do this kind of thing all the time, all the time. And rather than actually make a proactive decision to do something different or to get help or assistance. It's not happening. I see there are people in my life, um, they're not in class, but there are people in my life that they see that they're struggling. Other people are reaching out and saying, let me help you, let me offer you this. No, no, I'll do it myself. But they're not doing it themselves. They're, they're, they're not at all. And yet they don't want any help. So different ways that people struggle, experience difficulty, and they set themselves up to be pushed by the pain rather than pulled by the vision. And 
I'm so familiar with that, being pushed by the pain. I really am. I, I used to live that way all the time, being pushed by the pain. And so I, out of self-love, I decided not to operate that way anymore and to get out in front of things and to be proactive, to make my deadlines and to pay things ahead of time, to be organized, to do what it took to um, avoid that kind of motivation, the painful motivation. Just out of pure self-love, my, those, all those things, they disappeared from my life pretty much. The resistance and the reluctance. And I prayed and prayed and prayed to release the resistance and the reluctance. So Course in Miracles, Jesus himself is saying to us here, in no uncertain terms, and this section is called, so the, the, the Manual for Teachers, uh, Chapter 5, is called, How is Healing Accomplished? And it starts off with, healing involves an understanding of what the illusion of sickness is for. Healing is impossible without this. So healing is impossible without an understanding of what the illusion of sickness is for. And then it goes on to say here in Chapter 5 of the Manual for Teachers, the perceived purpose of sickness. This is Section 1 in Chapter 5. Healing is accomplished the instant the sufferer no longer sees any value in pain. Who would choose suffering unless he thought it brought him something and something of value to him? He must think it is a small price to pay for something of greater worth. All right? So... Healing is accomplished the instant the sufferer no longer sees any value in pain. So what I'd like to do here today is to go into a breakout and look again, look more deeply into what is the value of pain. What is the value of pain? So let's look at this a little deeper before we go into our breakout. It says here, We choose suffering because we think it brings something of value. And we think it's a small price to pay. The suffering is a small price to pay for something of greater worth. How could suffering be a small price to pay for something of greater worth? This, on a surface level, it's incomprehensible. It's incomprehensible. Like if we, we look at what, what Rand is experiencing on a physical level, what Laurel's experiencing, what Rieko's experiencing on a physical level, how could we say that this is a small price to pay for something of greater worth? So it's incomprehensible. So we have to say, okay, well, what could be of greater worth? What could it be? says here, and we, ha- we can only do this if we're not going to be in blame and we're not going to be in shame. We have to stand back from it and say, 
all things work together for good, including this. I'm accepting the goodness in it. So it says here, sickness is an election. It is a decision. It is the choice of weakness in the mistaken conviction that it is strength. When this occurs, real strength is seen as threat and health as danger. Sickness is a method conceived in madness for placing God's son on his father's throne. God is seen as outside, fierce and powerful, eager to keep all power for himself. Only by God's death can God be conquered by his son. And what in this insane conviction does healing stand for? Healing symbolizes the defeat of God's son and the triumph of his father over him. It represents the ultimate defiance in a direct form which the Son of God is forced to recognize. It stands for all that he would hide from himself to protect his life, in quotes. If he is healed, he is responsible for his thoughts. And if he is responsible for his thoughts, he will be killed to prove to him how weak and pitiful he is. But if he chooses death himself, his weakness is his strength. Now has he given himself what God give, would give to him, and thus entirely usurped the throne of his creator. So, that the, the unconscious thought is that if if I'm healed, I'm, in a sense, I'm going to have to be subservient to God. But if I'm not healed, if I'm suffering, then I'm the boss. I'm the God of my world. And if I die from my sickness, then this weakness is my strength. And I am the boss of my life. I can take my life. So going back to what I was sharing earlier in paragraph two of section two of this, the patient could merely rise up and say, I have no use for this. And there is no form of sickness that would not be cured at once. No form of sickness that would not be cured at once. So looking at why would we resist? Let's see, Maggie says, do you think that they use the term sickness to mean suffering or is it more diagnostic? Um, yeah, I think sickness and suffering are the same in this context, yep. Because it does talk about no matter what form the illness takes. So it could be mental suffering, emotional suffering, financial suffering. 
It is so much about making putting the power outside of us. Putting the power outside of us. Maggie? Yeah, the reason I was asking is I I have really been struggling with this topic. I'm finding it really challenging. It is challenging. Um and I think part of it is because um, it it seems like such, it could so easily be misused if we're at all coming from ego to just blame our so now not only are you <laughs> suffering now you're now you brought it on yourself and you could have healed this and and I think the way we tend to talk about sickness and healing in our culture is so much in the physical realm, but we know too that some people have been able to use physical quote unquote sickness to bring about healing too. So I get a little, I I get tripped up very easily in this concept. So I wanted to see if the term suffering might be better because then someone could be sick by the world's definition, but if they're not suffering, if they're seeing it in God's eyes, maybe that's what they mean by rising up. It may not be that, you're, you know, the cancer may or not immediately disappear, but maybe you start, stop describing yourself as a case, cancer patient and you start describing yourself as a child of God and you're loving people and you're not making that your whole identity and you're doing, you know what I mean? It, I find it real easy to get stuck in this. Um, so I just wonder that might, that clarification might help me stay the course with this concept. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so, and and so it, it's very much, Maggie. It's very much about uh, our identification, right? So when. Um, I've worked with people who were uh, experiencing a uh, progressive diminishing of their physical abilities. And they had a very strong attachment to what healing looked like. Healing looks like I'll be able to play tennis again. Healing looks like I'll be able to bathe myself again. Right? It looks like these things. Totally understandable. Totally understandable. And for me, it's been so helpful in my life to learn to ask, what is everything for? What's it for? It's like a friend of mine work, uh, wrote a book on um, wealth building using spiritual principles. Nothing wrong with that. And, but when I meditated on it, I just I had the question, what's the money for? Nothing wrong with building wealth, but... What's it for? 
So if we'd like a return to health, let's say, or vibrancy, what's it for? You know, I'd like to be able to walk again. What's it for? It, it's coming back again to what's the, is it motivation? Is there a vision? What's it for? Is it, I, you know, I would like to be able to um, be pain free so I can uh, have more fun. Nothing wrong with having fun. Nothing wrong with that at all. But what's it for? Seriously. I mean, it might seem strange to ask a question like, what's fun for besides enjoyment? Well, it can be beyond enjoyment. It can be self-expression. It can be communing with others and joining with others, right? One person's fun would be uh, playing video games by themselves. Another person's fun would be playing volleyball at the beach, uh, with a crowd of people. So really looking at what is our motivation in things? Are we, are we living from a vision or are we moving from motivation? Because I've certainly experienced that when there seems to be deprivation, like when people are have, struggling paying their bills, they want more money, understandable. And still, what's that money for? Is it so you don't have to worry? Well, you don't have to worry whether you have money or not. You don't have to worry. Worrying is optional. And while it seems like the cause of what's going on in our suffering is in the world of our finances, our physical health and well-being, that experiences we're having in our relationships that's not where causation is it's in the mind so we'd really like to have the highest possible quality of life we need to do this work at the level of the mind so if we can say i have no use for this i am not subject to that anymore I'm not interested in that anymore. Whatever affirmation or sentence it is that appeals to us, particularly, they're all statements really of the same thing. It's deciding for recovery. It's deciding for coming back into our right mind. But with that comes real responsibility. And... I find that most people would like to avoid responsibility. Most people are not looking to have more responsibility. They're looking to have less. And, and by responsibility, I don't mean, you know, responsibility in a job where you're being held accountable for things and being paid more and stuff like that. It's just how many people really would like to take responsibility for all the suffering they see in their world all the pain they see in their world, all the sickness they see in their world. How many people like to take responsibility for all of that? 
you know, because part of it is that the, the ego has us convinced that if we're not experiencing health and vibrancy, that we're doing something wrong. But just this statement of healing that Jesus has here in the Course, I have no use for this. I have no use for this. Right there, that tells us that if we're in pain and suffering, there's a use for it. That we have, we are experiencing it because we've decided there's a use for it. And we're the ones who made that decision that it has a use for us. And we're the ones that can undecide. But you see, when we're, when we're going to live in alignment with God, we're going to put God first. We're going to put God in charge. And so there's the trust and the faith factor. And we're also going to start to live, and this I know very well, we're going to start to live in a way that we're not actually deciding, oh, I would like to, uh, I'd like to go on vacation in August. Start moving out of that kind of decision making because that that's not how it's going to work. It's going to be, Spirit says, go here, go then. Not, I decide I'm going to go on vacation in August, but Spirit says, come, come September, come October, go here, go there. And we may or may not know ahead of time why. So we start to, we're still deciding to go with God, but it's a different experience. So Course in Miracles tells us a healed mind does not plan. And so the healed mind is really following the inspiration of God. So in year one, we're, we just had our first real class on Ho'oponopono, which is being at that zero state, which is being... Uh, guided and directed by the infinite mind of God, by pure spirit, by the higher Holy Spirit self, rather than uh, making choices based on our preferences. We're following guidance. So if we're going to live our best life, if we're going to give up being upset, and we're going to be pain-free, we're going to feel physically fit and strong. We're going to feel mentally and emotionally fit and strong. Then we know we are aligning with pure spirit. And spirit is going to, without question, going to ask us or invite us or suggest to us Things to do or not do that the ego says, oh, no, 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 no. I think of uh, some of the things I went through and particularly I just flashed on Regina Don Akers. I don't know if you ever heard her tell her story about living with Laurent, Lawrence or Laurence. I forget exactly his name now. Have you all heard her tell that story? 
Yeah, she told it in the first Living a Course in Miracles she did with me. And she may have talked about it some in one of her radio shows she did with me. So she became friends with a man in France and who was studying A Course in Miracles, and they felt that they were spiritual partners. So he moved to the United States, and he moved in with her and her daughter. And at first it was wonderful. It was really wonderful. And then it became less wonderful. And so they were living together, and they were opposed. They didn't like living together or being together anymore. And they started to live opposite schedules. They're sharing the same bed, sharing the same house, and living opposite schedules. They're trying to avoid having any contact with each other. And her constant thought is that she hates him. She hates him. And so she started working out and going to the gym to help relieve her, you know, spin off some of the energy of this hatred she was feeling for him, just like a complete and total aversion to him. And um, she said at that time that the Holy Spirit said to her that you're very fortunate to be in this experience right now, which she thought, well, I don't feel very fortunate to be living with and sleeping in the same bed with a man that I hate and despise. I cannot stand the sight of him or bear the sound of his voice. That doesn't feel very fortunate to me. But the Holy Spirit helped her to see that having this intensity of experience gave her an unrelenting, unremitting opportunity to work with her mind and to speed heal her mind. So she really went all in for that, working at the level of the mind. And it was very challenging for her, but she did accomplish a huge amount of healing. And now they're friends and they're fine. They they separated years ago. But this is what I have seen for many people is for every every spiritual student I know has challenges that are extremely intense for them and that are perfectly designed for them to not look away. They can't forget because the person is right there driving them insane or this is their job or, you know, it's about money and it's unrelenting or it's about physical pain and suffering. Whatever it is, it's perfectly designed for us to work at the level level of the mind and to feel motivated. But we don't have to live by painful motivation. We can live by a beautiful vision and feel pulled by the vision. So looking at what... How do you do your life? I I remember I I just thought it was the craziest, stupidest statement I ever heard once when I heard someone say, the way you do anything is the way you do everything. I thought, that's not true. But there is some truth to it, that it does seem that way. You know, some people, like I I, I went to a friend's house once and – he had a, a, a dinner party, it was lovely, 
And by the time the last guests were leaving, the entire house was clean. There was no sign of a dinner party. Every dish was put away. Every dish was cleaned and dried and put away. The dishwasher was running. Every crumb, everything was gone, every trace of it as the, the people were leaving the house. Because when he was done with the dinner, he didn't need everybody to leave, but he cleaned everything up while we stood around. And we helped him a little bit, but he was just, he did not, he, he was not going to bed until everything was completely clean, 100%. And um, so that's what he did while we stood there and watched him in the kitchen. And I just thought, well, that is so interesting. I would never do a dinner party that way. I would sit and have coffee after, and I would not uh, be doing the dishes with my company in the kitchen. But he was perfectly happy to do it. And that's how he was. He wanted always everything to be cleaned up and put away. If he took the scissors out, he put them back right away. He, everything was in its place all the time. That's how he did everything. And so let us observe what, what are the primary motivators that we use in our life. And is, is it loving? Would we do this? Like I often think of my precious nephews or my niece. And I, this is one of the things that helped me change my, my mind about my life and how I live my life. Would I motivate them the way I motivate myself? Like, what do you say to yourself in the morning to get out of bed? What do you say to yourself at the end of the day to get yourself into bed? How does it work? And would you say those same things? to the people you adore in your life. Like the young, like if you have young precious children that are impressionable, that you feel you'd like to treasure them and nurture them, would you treat them the way you treat yourself in terms of motivation? How do you motivate yourself? And is it a loving motivation? So this is the topic for our breakout, looking at it this way. It, it's because in, in, in looking at it in terms of this context of the patient could merely rise up and say, I have no use for this illness, this problem this suffering, this pain, this difficulty, and there is no form of sickness that would not be cured at once. What are we waiting for? What is preventing us from that? So what's your motivation? How does motivation operation operate in your life? Are there areas where you're pulled by a vision and you are feeling inspired and you really are moving from vision? So we're looking at motivation and vision. Motivation and vision. 
Any questions before we go to a breakout? So, what did you discover? What did you learn? What did you discover? What did you learn? About motivation and vision. Resistance and reluctance. Nothing? Lori, you want to go? Yes. Well, what I learned is um, that the three of us that were in the breakout, we were all in a different way. We were looking at um, one was a pain and then one was for teaching and then I was for relationship and um, I just saw myself that I was I'm so full of resistance and reluctance that I um, that spirit can't talk to me and so I um, really saw that that I want to take a look at the you know being pulled by the vision and uh, instead of that push by motivation because I'm motivated to win in this situation, whoops. I'm motivated by um, uh, winning, winning, mm-hmm. and being, uh, you know, being like, like with my family circumstance. What I'm motivated for is to split up the inheritance, uh, the way my father once wanted to have us split it up. Right. Instead of the what spirit would have us would guide us to do. Uh-huh. So I saw that um, that my motivation has just like you were saying in class that you just every, you keep setting yourself up and it's the same type of setup. It's the same type of situation as you go through life and you know and I'm willing to do it a different way. You know, that's so helpful. I'm really glad for your perspective and what you're sharing with us, Lori. So I'd love to ask you a question. What does winning give you? It gives me, because I come from fear, and if I give something up that I later will regret that I want, then that's what it gives me. It gives me protection because I'm fearfully in the relationship trying to get to the end of it without regret does that make sense it does it does it does so one of the things that i've come to see about protection because i really felt for myself i can really relate to what you're sharing laurie that my protection came from my winning or my being smarter or my being able to <clears throat> look ahead and, and get for myself what was best to outsmart others and things like that. And so that's how I was going to win. And that's how I would be protected. And I've come to learn through my human experiences of pain and suffering, as well as my human experiences of choosing love and extending compassion, I've come to see that love is my protector. That the more I am choosing love, the more I'm protected. 
And I'm actually going to go back to my uh, uh, thing that I shared right at the beginning before we even started our class, really, that I just gotten this news that, I mean, imagine you're doing a 10-day event and they're saying it's going to cost $25,000. There's a $25,000 charge we neglected to tell you about. Well, you know, when, you, when you've got 15 or 20 people coming to an event, that's a big deal. <laughs> and, you know, it might not be a big deal if you had 100,000 people coming to an event. But um, I know that God is my protector. I'm coming from love. So I don't have to be angry or annoyed or frustrated, even though I've already started registering people for this event. There's something that I am being guided to, and I, that's what's most important. So there's nothing for me to fear, because God is here with me, leading me, guiding me. So um, when we can accept that love is our protector, that choosing love is our protection, then winning becomes choosing love. Mm -hmm. I, I have the, the thought that love also is uh, losing, though, in a way, because with me, it's almost like if I, it, so I've been awakened in the night, and I've been, I've been really moved to say that I don't need anything, and that my brother does, mm. and it just feels like passively giving it all up and and I just am like that doesn't feel good I mean it doesn't feel like the human experience feel good and and so that's where I the love thing comes in because I still have a struggle with between passive being passive submissive laying over playing dead type and giving it all away because I don't want the hassle versus genuine love of the spirit, love of life, love of, of my brother. Does that make sense? It does. And I'll just say that, um, for instance, I have uh, someone in my life who's very dear to me, and they're in a situation where their parents are probably going to leave their entire inheritance to their one child who's a, an active drug addict because they feel like that one child who's the active drug addict needs the most support. But what's that one drug addict going to do with money? Well, they're going to invest it wisely, of course, and make sure that they and their children are provided for for the rest of their lives. No, they're not going to do that. That's not what drug addicts do. Drug addicts don't do that at all. So, you know, um, on one hand, I can see, you know, out of compassion, you know, let, let my brother have it because he really could use the money. But is that actually the most compassionate thing? Because if he gets that money and he burns right through it and then there's nothing, then what? Exactly. 
Right. Right. And it just the conversation, the week before my dad died, he totally didn't want to give my brother anything because my brother was so rude to him. So I, I still have this memory. And so when I'm dealing with him at all, I still have that. So I, I just, I really want to be pulled by vision. I really want this to move in the way that, you know, heals and shares and works for all beings. So, yes. Beautiful. Yes, yes, yes. So that's what I'm, I want to do. I'm that's right. And so you don't have to make a decision until you know what you're being guided to do. People ask me all the time, they'll say, hey, what are you going to do about this? And I say, I haven't been told yet. I don't know. I'll let you know as soon as I know. Well, when are you going to know? I don't know. Um, you, know because of peace. you know because you get peace? I do, because, you know, I would say for me, what it is, it's just, there's a feeling that I have, for me, because I'm more clairsentient than I am, say, clairvoyant or clairaudient or claircognizant, because I'm so strongly clairsentient, feeling, my intuition comes through a feeling, I can just feel in my body, oh, that feels, yeah, that's it right there. Or people say, why don't you do this? It makes the most sense. It's the most, no, I can't do that. Why? Because I, I don't feel any alignment with it. I just don't feel it. But it wouldn't be that way for everyone. It wouldn't be. Some people would say, because I saw a vision, I saw the image. You know, one of my best friends, she saw in a dream the shoes of the man she was going to marry. And when that person walked into her life wearing those shoes, she saw that sh those shoes on him, she knew, ah, he's probably going to be my husband. And he, he is her husband. So. I can do that without fear. Yeah. It actually is how the, for me, that's how the fear goes away is I don't have fear when I can feel it. But if I'm trying to force a decision, then I don't feel that sense of security. If my ego is trying to force the decision. I've learned to wait and trust. Sometimes I forget to ask, you know, and I just think, oh, I want, I want, I want, I want, you know. Oh, yes. I'm definitely going to have sweet potato fries and I'm going to have the, the whatever, the bacon burger with the extra sharp cheddar. And then as I'm eating it, I'm thinking, you know, I forgot to ask what's the highest and best for me to eat. And I just went with what my mind wanted to experience. And now I'm thinking there was a better way. But no judgment, no shame, no blame. Just live and learn. So we're really at time here. But does anybody, I'd love to, if one more person would like to share. Anybody learn something about motivation or vision here that you can share? Laurel? 
um, I've been ill so long that yeah. I, I've pretty much let go of having yeah. business. You know, Rand, Rand said, well, go, you know, rewind, you know, go, go back to before you were sick. You know, yeah. Okay. You know, yeah. I, I can see I wanted to have a partner mm-hmm. and um, just you know, I literally just kind of maybe travel, just enjoy life, you know, do, do a spiritual path together. You know, but it, it, it just, as the time went by, it just seemed like it was less and less feasible that I couldn't do it. So I let go of it. Right. Have you been working with Dr. Hawkins um, with his, his teaching there about uh, I'm not subject to that anymore? I mean, I know I, I'm going to. I just I wanted to write it all down so that I could get real clear about what he was saying. Um, so I'm ready to do it. I have not done it yet. Well, great. And, and so you can also look at this chapter five in the manual for teachers and I have no use for this. I haven't opened to it. So yeah, I will. Great. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you. Anybody else? Last one to share. Elizabeth. All right, you'll have to do it. I can't do it. So uh, I would like to leave you on a hopeful little little upbeat note. Um, I um, I was talking to a very dear friend uh, last week. I think it was Friday, and uh, he he had broken his arm, was in excruciating pain on on opioids and. And, and so I wrote out something on an index card and then I texted it to him and I used uh, Dr. Hawkins' words and his thoughts. And I'm not sure if it, I mean, I, I'd read it to you, it's on the phone, but I can't remember exactly because I, I think Spirit really put it together. But it, it started with, I'm not subject to this. Uh, God did not create pain, dot, 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 you know, whatever. I'm not doing it anymore. And so um, I texted it to him, and he did it four or five times before he went to bed that night. He woke up twice in the middle of the night to pee, and he did it once each time he woke up. And by the next morning, he had it dialed back way down to a tolerable level of pain. And so Dr. Hawkins works. Well, of course, the miracles works. Teachings of Jesus work. Yes, Hawkins works. It's remember, it's our mind, the mind of our God. Mind. We all share. It works, and we can hold whatever we like in the mind of God, and we will experience it as though it's real, whether it's real or not. This is the gift that we've been given by our Creator. Is this opportunity? to experience what it what it's like to be the creator of our world so we can create an illusory world and convince ourselves that it's real won't ever be real thank goodness or we can live in the real world and we can live 
we can live in the real world and walk in this world and be a teacher of God, a healing presence. And also we can just remember to laugh. Can remember to laugh. Well, all right, let's pray. So grateful. So grateful and so thankful for the love of God shining in our heart, in our mind. So grateful for infinite wisdom, infinite clarity, true peace and joy. We are grateful and we are thankful to join together with the Holy Spirit for our healing. And we are grateful to give to the Holy Spirit Everything that is false that we have thought that we needed. We're giving all false motivations, all painful motivations to the Holy Spirit for healing. We're standing here in a vision of love. We are grateful and thankful to go forward, motivated by love, inspired by love, inspired by a vision of wholeness and wisdom, and clarity. We are grateful and thankful to say yes to our freedom. In gratitude, we share the benefits with all and we let it be. And so it is. Amen. 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 Hmm. Love you all. Enjoy the rest of your week. Mwah. Bye. 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 Thank you.